Hello, everyone. I'm Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. By the grace of the God that I found through the 12-step program containing our book, Alcoholics Anonymous, by the strength and support of the fellowship and strong sponsorship, who's out in the hall right now, from Alcoholics Anonymous, I found it necessary to take a drink. So it's September 4th, 2000. For that, I am very, very grateful. Um, now, now, I'm sure you all know without applause, you're simply applauding our recovery program. I was put down by our co-founders here, a couple of drunks just like me, and little did they know that how far this thing was going to go and touch a, a 29-year-old's heart today and bring his family together and give me the opportunity and the privilege to share with you my simple experience, my limited time with Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's all I have to, to really give tonight. Um, I look at your... Uh, motto for tonight there and live in the solution and I hope we can get to that as quick as possible not to bore you with with any tactics of my drinking I got here just like any of you I drank too much and that's uh that's my deal now by no stretch of the imagination I dressed myself tonight if uh, some of you knew me that wouldn't be possible I can't believe I even threw this thing together I had I had my good friend Mark here, and he's ironing on the bed for me, and I'm learning because I don't know how to iron. I can sew, but I can't iron. And, you know, can you do that collar? And, you know, and, and, and we're in action. <laughs> and that's what I see out there. I, I heard from, from a good, you know, I consider anyone that I listen to in the spirits will be a tape or, or hear anyone talk at a group or, or whatever it is, even a talk at the back of the room. I love hearing anything to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. It saved my life, it gave me life, therefore it is my life. And I've built my life around AA and my home group and carrying the message to anyone who's willing to have it. Okay? And, I, and I'm quite willing to give that away because someone did that for me. And it wasn't like that in the beginning. I can tell you if, if I'd be having a totally different meaning than, than I'm having up here when, when I was that first guy walking in. And if there's anyone new here tonight, I welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Please, uh, feel free. My room number is 109. We're usually up late in the night, swimming, talking, getting all jacked up on coffee, talking a mile a minute, sometimes talking about absolutely nothing, but, but we're living and we're doing it together. And, and that's what I believe this thing is about. It's change. It's having some sort of miracle happen in our life because technically I shouldn't be standing here and I can only speak for myself. Okay? And that's just what my experience is. I'd like to just, I hope I'm not out of line by, by thanking the committee. And I know we'll probably have someone up here and do that. I was thinking a bit before, which is sometimes not the best thing for me to do. But I was just trying to get an essence of the whole experience here. And, and really, when I look back at my home group and just anything to do with AA, so be it at the New York New York uh, level and the general service level or within your districts or, or anything to do with the service aspect, any committee or anybody trying to do something to better carry the message to the suffering alcoholic, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Now, let's get down to business. i got to get powerless. As it talks about in our text, i got to get to that hopeless state of mind, and, and I hope I can do that in, in as little time as possible and, and be able to share with you some of the experiences that I've had as a result of a loving God coming into my life by simply me clearing away the wreckage and that which was blocking me off, 
pomp and worship and a showy display of an attitude, because I had a bad attitude before I got here, and all these things had to go before I was to experience any sort of kind of emotional sobriety, contentment, peace, any sort of happiness, joyous, and freeness in my life. Um, unfortunately, my mother was, was going to come tonight. She's not a member of Al-Anon. Uh, she absolutely blew me away. Uh, just well, knocked me off the couch. I was talking to her about my college course I'm going through right now, and we're having a conversation, and, and uh, she expressed the interest to come. I thought she was joking. And she said, I really want to come. Okay, you're coming. You're in the van. We'll get you a hotel room right on. She wants to take part. Now, as I go through my experience, that was not the case. I had no sense of family before I came to AA. Okay? And, uh, and I'm going to touch on that right now. I started at a very young age my career in alcoholism. And it was a career right off the hop. It's the first time, from what I can remember from my memories, my mother tells me different things. I don't like to touch on those because it seems to be that those are her experiences and I don't remember those things, and that's the beauty of my illness because there's certain things I don't remember and certain things I do remember. <laughs> so I just like to leave it at that. <laughs> my men's list was long enough. <laughs> no, honestly. Um, now, in the beginning, just to, to get back into my life a bit, a little confusing information has nothing to do with my alcoholism. I'm a Greek, Catholic, Polish, Ukrainian, Moroccan male. <laughs> right there, I think I think it was set. <laughs> That's a bad deal. That's a bad deal. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And off the hop, when I was younger, my parents separated from a pretty young age. And I was young. I have a sister that's five years older than I am. And being a boy... I believe I had the, the symptoms of a selfishness, self-centered personality right from the get-go. Right from the get-go. Wanted what I wanted when I wanted it, and I wanted it now, and I didn't care who I had to go through or the tactics I had to use to get that. And my career in drinking started from the time of nine years old, really. And that happened as a result. Parents split. Naturally, I think I'm the most unique individual in the world that this has happened to. I, I see nobody else has these problems, and this is just my view of the world. Nine-year-old child. Nine-year-old child. I'm not talking to anyone. Um, I got to visit my dad on visitation rights, and my dad was a fluent uh, a drinker. I believe he had this illness. He did not seek help, unfortunately. I'll get to that part. He died tragically on his job on the highway. He flew at the window, slew his neck on the way out, and he bled to death on the highway. And... When I was presented with that information, as a young boy, I remember, I'll never forget the day my mom's sitting on the couch and come downstairs and i got to tell you something. And, and you know, and you just, you know, you know something's going down. And, and I sat there and she proceeded to tell me that I no longer had a father. And, and I'll never forget the feeling that I had as a boy and something closed inside of me. And no one was ever going to hurt me like that again. I never wanted to hear anything like that again. I looked right at my mother into her eyes and I said, are you done? I remember that clearly. And I walked upstairs. And I lost all sense of family, all sense of hope in the world. And as far as I was concerned, I was alone. Now, later on, I was given the title of you're the man of the house. And I tried my very best ability to uphold that. And I believe that is almost what killed me because we carry that with great pride and the ego, all that comes with it. And later on, that was pretty well my self-destruction, just about, because I would not accept help from anybody because I had to do this on my own. Um, now, I'm a younger member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, and I came in 
to AA to my first meeting when I was 18 years old. But to get up to there, I had a period of drinking and the progression of my illness that I had to go through. And we're all in different stages of this progression. That's what I learned through our text as soon as I got into that book. And it is only there that I learned about my illness, of what I suffer from, why I am hopeless, and what I need to do to recover from that. So that's simple. It's as simple as our co-founders laid it down. Look at that. Happy, joyous, and free. I hope we can get down to that for tomorrow and get down to some dancing because that's what it's all about. Some fellowship and happiness, experience and recovery in life. Alcoholics Anonymous in action. Woo! Here we are. Because that's what it is. I want to talk. I want to meet some people. Okay? First time I took my drink, that which makes me bodily different from my fellows, my mother and my sister, I love to use them as examples, happened to me from the first time. I blacked out my first experience with alcohol. I did not get no bottom of the toes, fuzzy feeling. Uh, I was able to twirl my drink. and you know, I'm nine years old. I should be playing with G.I. Joes and I'm mixing drinks. That's what I'm doing. And I experienced my very first blackout. And I didn't really know how to deal with that situation. But I learned from a young age of how I'm supposed to lie about it and cover that up. And I learned to be a conniver from the get-go. And I came home, and I remember seeing three back lanes, and I walked up those stairs, and it's two in the afternoon, and, and I'm trying to, you know, you're trying very hard not to bounce off the wall and drag your shoulder on the wall, and I'm trying to do that, and I get upstairs, and my mom picks it up right away. She comes up, and, and I, got, I got her hovering over me, and I had a big brother at the time from the Big Brother organization trying to make, you know, an effort and maybe offering something in my life. God bless him. Um, and they're standing over me, and I remember that whole experience as the things that are running through my head naturally, which set the pace, is I never want to feel like this again. And I'm never going to do this again. And guess what? Do you think when I sobered up from that experience that I did that again? Yes, I did. That's a part of my illness. I am selfish, self-centered. I cannot make the connection that this hurts other people. And I will seek it again. And again, and again. And in the beginning, and when I look at that, right from the from the start, I had a definite problem there. But you had a problem with it, not me. I just thought, well, it's because I mixed 16 different whiskeys in one glass and drank it down. That's why I got sick. That's why I got sick. I just got to stay away from that and maybe just stick to one. Put some ice in it. You drank that with no ice wasn't watered down, and all the wonderful things we try and justify and rationalize of why we got that in whatever state or condition that we got. Now, from the time on from there, I'm not drinking every day. I'm not a daily drinker. It took some time. I, I got to I was about maybe 14 years old, and, and by that time in my teenage years, pretty literally, I was a daily drinker. Got no direction in life, living off my mother, uh, no connection with my sister, Basically, a roof over my head. I live in the basement, and, I, and I'm a conniving, self-centered, mean, egotistical, don't want to do anything for you, do it for me, alcoholic. Okay? And I leave and come and go as I please. And I drink whenever I can get my hands on. And I lie and steal and try and get any sort of money in my pocket to keep me going. And that's usually, I dropped out of school by the time, when I left grade 9, I wanted nothing to do with school. And there's quite an important uh, piece in, in, in the progression of my life, which where it took me, happened in grade 9. I was a very nervous, nervous, thin, 
Hey, awkward, big ears. My sister used to tell me they stick out like this. Those things traumatize. You remember? I remember it now. I'm 29. And I looked at that on the inventory. Remember those big ears he told me I had? I carry that stuff. I look at you and I think, big ears, eh? I remember. I don't forget. What happened in grade nine was a gentleman and two of his gentleman friends came looking for me at the classrooms, peeking in. They wanted to fight me. I had a fight before my life. What am I going to do? I don't know how to fight. This is terrible. People are going to find out that I can't fight. I've already got some sort of reputation in the school, but now it's going to be put to the test. Oh, I don't like that. That's too much pressure. Way too much. I want to leave. I want to run. I want to hide. I can't do that. i got to face this. And I went out and went into the school. And, you know, I don't know if you've got any self-proclaimed boxers in the room. I never was too good at it. <laughs> and uh, and we went at it. And lo and behold, I won by the luck of the draw, which wasn't the case later on <laughs> at all. And that set the tone for my life as I know it. Because from that one experience, nothing ever happened after that. But from that, that one experience, what happened? What would have happened if when Bill and Bob in the first 100 had put this, hadn't put this book together? If they hadn't put it in written form and it was passed down from word to word, it would have got watered down and garbled and things would have changed, right? That's exactly what happened with that story of that fight one night. I don't know what the heck people are saying, but I'll tell you, by the end of two years, I was some sort of ogre. I was the juggernaut. Minnetonka School in Dakota. Watch out for Chris Turner. And now i got to live up to a huge reputation that I can't possibly meet. And that makes for more drinking on my part. Because i got to uphold something in a life that I'm trying to build. Bill built his on Wall Street. Money and power. Mine was power on the street. That's how I began to live. I was living in a suburb kid, but I found family and friendship. Outside my door is still 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 in the morning. Never coming home for days. Never thinking what that did to my mother. What did my mother do? My mother is in this text and is the patient wives, the sad parents, and the ones we hurt the most who love us till the end, until we either get here or we die. She did not kick me out. She sat and stayed up for hours and days waiting for her son to come home. Now, if there's any people here from Al-Anon, Alateen, I commend you, your strength and your will, and you're just as much a part of this and this life and the celebration that we have here as anyone else. And I thank you. I thank you because without people like you and the, the spirit that my mother continued to uphold in my life growing up, I believe is why I'm still here today. She couldn't have solved my drinking, not enough power to do that, but I definitely think it kept from things maybe getting a little worse and maybe I would have gone on a little bit more of a geographical cure and ended up dead somewhere. I don't know. I don't question it. I'm here now, and that's what's important. Um, now, from the time that I'm not going to school and want anything to really do with that, really what that is is I got no sense of responsibility. I'm a man's man. I'm 14 years old, 15. I'm not going anywhere in life. Get a job, I keep hearing. I'll get a job. Give me some gas money. I'll use your car. Go get a job. I'm a big spender, and I spend your money. <laughs> That's what I do. Now, by the time that I was to uh, really get any sort of responsibility and a license, because I am, by nature, a drunk driver. You got any of those in the room? 
You got one, one drunk driver in the room. Come on. Gee. That's what I love to do. <laughs> and that's what I did. I was a NASCAR racer. I loved it. I'd be tipping into the walls, dragging down the wall. Just give me in that car seat. I'm fine. Hey, look at this. I'm hanging out the window. And you drive. You better work the pedals. I'll work the steering wheel. And, like, I can't believe that, that some of us never either ended. I never ended up in jail. By the grace of God. I don't know why. We were listening to a talk on the way here, Norm Elpy. Some of you familiar with him. God, God rest his soul. Inches and seconds he talks about. How many times have I scraped by by inches and seconds in my life? We could talk forever on that. Talk forever on that. And that's really where the turn of my progression of my illness uh, just went that way. I managed to convince my mother I was going to get a job on one condition. You get me? A 71, 383 Barracuda. Canary yellow. Need that. Need that. I get a job? I'm going to fix this car. Can't get a job if I don't got the car. We convinced, eh? And I convinced her. And I poked and I nagged. And, and she was all for it. She was just one of those mothers. Yes, son. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. I can see you need that. And before I even had the car, all my friends knew I was already getting the car. I don't even have it. So now there's even more pressure. Well, now we really got to get it. Like, you got to do whatever it takes. All so my friends think I'm bringing this car home on the weekend. You gonna do that to me? <laughs> you gonna put me out there in the street, making me look like a fool? Gotta go and get it. We went and got this car, and I had big plans for that car. Like anyone else in this room, I'm sure all of us have had some sort of dream or desire, and alcohol and, and the illness of self-centeredness and selfishness has taken that away. It's totally ripped it and annihilated from our life. And I had plans and dreams my whole life. I wanted to do things. I had great intentions. Guess what? Couldn't live up to them. Couldn't do it. My human resources failed. That's why I'm here. That's why I continue to live this deal. I ain't got nothing else, nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. And I love it today. I love it today. Now, I had that car for about six months. And by trade, like I said, I'm a drunk driver. I came home one particular night. As my mother likes to fill me in on the details, I was gone for two nights. She loves telling me this story. She was waiting up in the kitchen for me because I was gone on a stupor for whatever period of time, two, two, two days, I guess. And she heard me coming from River Road. That's a little suburb area that I live off of St. Mary's. We lived in these side-by-sides called the Village Canadian Co-op. A little tight kind of community. It's side-by-side, 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 and you live in a bay. And, and I, I believe I was on, oh, this was my first parking space. By the end of my time there in the Village Canadian, they'd moved me around three times. They did not like me parking vehicles in that place. <laughs> and this is an account of this one. I came home roaring in this 71 Barracuda 3-3 Magnum. And the windows are down. Why? Because I need fresh air. I need fresh air in that car. I'm taking the side streets. Falling asleep here. But I made it. I made it. On my own will. I made it. I told my friend I didn't need to sleep over. I told him I did it. I did it. And I remember seeing, no plain as day, looking right down in this room, and there's my stall. And then we go into what we love to call the fantasy world. <laughs> and apparently I went into a blackout, and I was doing donuts around my circle, right into my neighbor's house, into the kitchen. And I woke up like this, and what do I think? Oh, my car. My car. Smoking, there's tree leaves everywhere. I think I woke someone up down the end. I thought it was my mom. It turns out that it was my neighbor, and I was calling her my mom. And she helped me to my to my house. And from that experience, set the tone of I, I really didn't understand what was going on there. And I didn't want to face that. I couldn't face that. There's no way that I wanted to look at that condition. 
for whatever reason, I don't know how in my experience I ever made it through these scrapes because it, it talks in our text about, about the scrapes we get into and, and just these troubles that, that happen in whatever situations in our life that they arise from. And this particular one, for whatever reason, I did not go to bed on my bed that night. And I chose to sleep on my couch, and the couch faced the back of my door, so when the police came in to get me, I wasn't in my bed. So my mom told him, well, he's not home. And that bided me some time. And I didn't do any any particular incarceration for that experience. Lost the car, had uh, the walk of shame, dragging the tree to the garbage in front of the nice sunny daylight, birds chirping, there's the neighbors peeking through the drapes. That Turner kid, that Turner kid. And, uh, and now I've lost something in my life when I counted my drink, and that really meant something to me. And that opened my eyes. It wasn't enough, though. It's never enough. It's never enough. Now, what happened from that experience is I... I I pretty well tuned into the idea that it's everyone else in Winnipeg that seems to be getting in the way of the things that I want to do, right? And i got to change my circumstances in life. And I can, alter, I can alter and alter till the sun goes down all around my life and change things and get things and do whatever I want to do. And it's the same inevitable result. It's an inside job. I had no idea what I was suffering from, right? And as much as I woke up with the, the earnestness and the fiber of my being, and I actually met that experience head on, and I told myself, that's it, I'm done. I'm never drinking again. This, this is crazy. Like I just parked my car in my neighbor's kitchen, left it there in the front yard for the neighbors to wake up to in the morning. What a beautiful sight. Beautiful sight. Okay. Now, did I think about my mother? Now, that affected her. Now, she's going to go to the attendant of that co-op and explain how her son is going through some problems. She's, she's on cleanup detail, right? She's cleaning up my messes. I'm not facing nothing. I don't got to do anything. But wait a couple months till the heat gets off, ask her for another car, and get into the deal again. Try and get my life on track, Right? And that's what I'm doing. Now, by the time that all this is going on, I've already gotten involved in, in where I find my, my, my family, so I call it. And I'm involved in the, in the gangs of Winnipeg and, and getting into all sorts of trouble. And I'm on a one-way ticket to jail is where I'm going, right? You got that, that you, we think and we tend to think, we, we build up this big idea, or I do anyway. I, I like to build up this big idea, and, and my name was my identity. Right? Because that strikes fear in people's hearts. And I lived by that. Anytime you said the name Chris Turner is either I hurt you or you didn't want to know me. And by the end of my drinking, I hated hearing my full name. Hated it. I despised it. Because I never knew what you were going to think or say, what someone told you. And it would be like this. Hey, how you doing? I'm Chris. Chris what? Why does it matter? What's your last name? Turner. Oh, I heard about you. Because you never know what's going to happen. And I never knew what people are going to say. You hurt my sister or, or, you know, I've been looking for you or whatever the case is. I lived in fear. And that's no way to live. And it talks about that in our text, getting on ready into, into action on the second page. It says we live by fear and tension. That was my life summed up. I put on a good act on the outside, inside. 
I'm dying. I'm dying. No one came home with me at night. From whatever nights I deemed a good night. You did not come home with me and sit on the edge of my bed and live in my brain until I managed to fall asleep. Okay? I lived like an animal. And I hated it. I hated it. I didn't know there was any other way and I didn't tell anybody about it. Now the people that knew that the most was my mother and my sister because they were the ones who found me in the bathroom shaking to death on the floor. Find me passed out in the bathtub and now the cold water's been running on me for eight hours because I've fallen asleep in the bathtub. Okay? These are the things that they wake up to. Right? And I just keep taking. I keep taking. And I went on one of our beautiful geographical cures that I thought was going to save my life because I had to get away from these rotten people in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's they're the ones that are dragging me down. If they just stop phoning me, I'll be able to get my life together. And that's all I'm thinking about. And i got to leave these people behind. i got to go to Jasper, Alberta because i got to find out who I am, and I gotta live in the mountains, and I gotta see the beauty, and I gotta experience everything that there is in Alberta, because this is gonna change me. And I gotta leave this life behind. I gotta find what kind of worth ethic I got. Okay? Cause I had no work ethic up to that point, and that was when I was 17, just turned 18. Just turned 18. I lasted in Jasper, Alberta, for a good 10 months. Not long. And that's really where the progression of my illness grabbed a hold of me. And I had no idea and no account and no recollections of what was going on in my life. And what had happened is I had gone on the same old threadbare idea that it talks about. I was going to handle myself like a different person this time. I wasn't going to drink out here. It's different people. I can't let them know what I'm like. I'm leaving that life behind me. I'm going to make a whack of money because I got nothing in my bank account. I got nothing to live. I got really nothing to show for. And I got to make a stake. And I got to start getting my life together. Why? Because the friends around me that were the good friends, the ones that I did go to school with, and the ones that I grew up with, you got two separate sets of friends, and I had those, were the ones who were getting their families together now, maybe seeking an opportunity in university and fulfilling that. And I would look at these people and I would go, where's, where's the, like, how come I can't do that? Why am I not capable of doing this? Why cannot, why can I not meet life head on like you people do? And I always measured myself up, excuse me, to the people around me, right? My emotions and attitudes were based on any sort of look you gave me. If I said good morning to you in the morning and, and maybe you didn't hear me and you didn't say good morning, if I'm at a job, then, you know, five minutes later I'm getting fired, I'm thinking. That's the way my brain goes. I don't, I don't really make sense that I cannot live in a world with you people if I'm constantly depending on what you think about me, your facial expressions, or anything, because that's going to change like that. That's finite. It's not going to last. And that's what I placed all my dependence on. I placed my dependence on cars, people, places, and things. And those things are in a constant state of change. And if those things are in a constant state of change, my emotions are in a constant state of change. And what you get is an unrational, irresponsible person who can't have any sort of dependability in his life. And that all came to fruit in Jasper, Alberta. And that inevitable happened. And I remember it like the day it happened. And I was working for a place called Pyramid Mountain. Or, sorry, the Saw Ridge Hotel. And we were having a staff party at Pyramid Mountain. And we're getting to know people. And what's happening over here is we got the beer tub. And there's the mountain skyline over there. There's some sweat dripping down that beer. And the horseshoes are dinging. Okay? And people are having a good time. And it's 12 noon. What am I thinking about? That beer over there. 
Sure would be nice to have one of those. Can't let these good people see what will happen to you if you start having that beer. Because you know what's going to happen. It's 12 noon. Why has it been any different? That's sound reasoning coming in there. That's my sound reasoning. Doesn't hold me in check for very long. Doesn't hold me in check at all. What had happened is that maybe lasted for 10 minutes. I figured, I'll have a light beer. I'll have a light beer. Be okay. We're playing horseshoes. I'm winning here. I'm winning. It's awesome. Getting to know some people. Right? Now, honestly, as quick as I had that thought and I twisted that cap, the next thing I remember is I'm in the basement of, of a bar at the Sarridge Hotel. I can't remember the name. It's not there anymore. And I'm talking to the sous chef beside me. And my mouth is kind of hanging down now because I'm trying to hold my deportment together because I've gone into a blackout. And, I, and you, know, you know where you just come out of them and you don't know kind of what's going on. you got to get your bearings. And I don't know what I've been talking to this gentleman about. Turns out he's, he's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's having a little talk with me. That's what he's doing. Right? He's having a little talk with me. And I don't want anything to hear about him. And, and, uh, and I ended up bringing uh, a waitress home that night to her staff a calm, which is uh, nothing new on my part. Damaging people's lives. It's the things that I do when I go out there. And uh, what had happened there is my body, something that happened in my body that I wasn't going to talk about no one with except my friend that night. And at that time, that was great. Now, what had happened is I had gone home with this lady, woke up in the morning, not to any wonderful words or, you know, like, you know, anything beautiful in that nature. I woke up to an elbow in the ribs. Like this. And you know, you come out and you're kind of hazy and the whispering's getting louder. Wake up, you're peeing on my leg. <laughs> Holy <laughs> I'm out of there. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and I'm gone. And I'm downstairs and I wake up my buddy Moreau. And I'm waiting, Moreau, Moreau, wake up, I say. What, Turner, what, what? It's five in the morning, man. Holy, I peed on your leg, I said. And he sits on a bed, no, and he's laughing. He's got this funny laugh, eh? And that was funny, but it wasn't funny when it happened two days later. And then the day after. And then again, and again. And now I want Moreau's mattress. And I'm eyeing it up, trying to figure out how I'm going to pull off the switch. i got to sleep in the bathtub. How am I going to get this stinky mattress behind the staff how am I going to come up with a story to the to the chef, the head chef, and tell him I need mattress? Mine's uncomfortable. What about when the what about when the maids come in to clean my room? They're going to know. They're going to know what's going on. And I'm phoning my mom in these these crazy rages. Like, mom, can you help me? Eh? What's happening to me? What's happening to me? And, and when I used to do that, I'd phone her in blackouts. I don't know these things. She tells me, and that's the beauty of our, of our program containing this book. It says, we analyze the past as we now see it with the family. And I sat down with my mom and I had a talk. And you know what? Oh, she told me things. <laughs> she told, and she let me in on a lot of secrets, and that was one of them. That was one of them. She used to say, she, you'd phone me at, at 4 in the morning, pleading with your life. Mother, I would say, Mother, I, I would say everything. That is in the doctor's opinion, word for word. When I read that, and when my mother told me that, I couldn't believe that that came out of my mouth. And I would tell her, I cannot go on like this. I can't take it anymore. I don't know what's happening to me. 
And guess what? What do I do? I hang up. Do you think she goes to bed? No. Do I? Yeah. I don't even give a second thought. My mom's absolutely... I, I probably knocked 10 years off my own mother's life just by that one phone call. Those are the things that I would leave her with. Now, on the end of that experience, I, I didn't voluntarily leave Jasper. I was actually on the verge of getting run out of town on account of some other experiences that we don't really need to touch and get those on tape. <laughs> Take my word for it. And I left that town. Why did I leave that town? People, places, and things. i got to get out of this town. These mountaineers are crazy. can't believe the way they drink up here. The altitude's nuts. I can't hold my liquor. I'm peeing the bed. Got to get out of here. I gotta get back down to Winnipeg. This is not, I gotta take the heat off. I gotta, I gotta get back with my old girlfriend. I love my girlfriend. And we're gonna rekindle that fire. And I'm gonna get my life back on track. Does that sound familiar? Does that not say, I believe it is in Moribonocalism where there's a solution. It doesn't really matter. It talks about the alcoholic and we get our life back on track. Okay? But what I didn't understand is that I got a cunning, baffling, powerful illness. That given a period of time, when I start getting things back in my life, I start to take credit for that. And what happens? I start to think that it's not as bad as it was before. Maybe I was making a big deal about this situation. I start to get some sense of power and direction back into my life because we were able, intelligent, friendly people, it tells me. Capable of making a living. And that's what starts to happen for me. That's the insanity of it. Other people, like my mother and my sister and, and employers, everybody sees that and they go... How can you, why do you do that again? Hey, my sister used to call me your weak willed. If you knew what it was doing to us, you'd stop. Why don't you stop? And I'd look at her and I'd say, I want to. Can I borrow 20 bucks? <laughs> I'm the money borrower. And, and I come back to Winnipeg, and what had happened is I came back to Winnipeg to rekindle that fire with, with an old girlfriend, and, and I love this girl with all my heart. High school sweetheart, high school sweetheart. We got engaged, moved in together, got the apartment. You think that lasted? No, no. Didn't last. Domestic situation, and it escalated to where she just would not have anything to do with me. It got to the point where she joined Alcoholics Anonymous just to get me in. She wasn't even an alcoholic. She just came in, and she did that for a good three years till finally fed up and left. And I'll never forget the day she walked out, and it's the, it's the day where, where she tells you, that's it, I'm gone, I've had it, and you know it's real, and you can't do nothing to stop it, and you don't got no explanation for it. And her family's walking in, moving her couch out, moving her TV out, and what do you got to say? Sorry? You know how many times I've used that word? Okay. Please come back. I'll try harder. That's worn out. It's done. That's done. My life fell apart. My life began to fall apart right there. What had happened is I managed to get in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. By any account, I did not stay. I did not fall into the category of the numbers that we used to have by 50% who came in and really tried, got sober at once. I did not really try. I did not fall into that category. I believe those numbers are still strong in here because all we got to do is really try. That's a promise. That's a promise. Now, I had a life of seven years in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm too sick for just the fellowship because that did not do nothing for me. 
but creating sanity in my life. Why? Because i got no change going on up here. I can sit and talk with the best of them. But that eventually caps out. And I learn and talk and get all the knowledge that will sustain me for the period of time. And then I bottom out. I ain't got anything else. Why? Because I can't meet life head on. I'm in an hour a day meeting. i got to meet the world through the rest of the 23 hours a day. And I'm still running and making decisions on fear, guilt, and resentment. That's what I make my decisions based on. That's what I learned through step three. I'm a selfish, self-centered individual. Now, the point that I got to... Through that period of years, I'm here to tell you, anyone, if you think you're different, and it talks about it and how it works, we read that in a lot of our meetings, find the easier, softer way, and we would not and could not do these things. And it reminds us again, if we've read that information before, that cunning, baffling, and powerful, because at that point in time, maybe you've managed to stay sober for two or three months on your own, not really doing anything, haven't got a sponsor, guess what? You're going to die. Bottom line. If you suffer from this illness does not rest. And whatever state and progression you're in, I don't, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Don't wish that at all. And that was my case. Because I would get a period of sobriety for whatever time it was, and I would think that I got my life back together again. And then I started in the periods of, you stay sober for a bit, I leave AA. Why? Because this guy's talking about the same thing. He just talked about this last week. Man, talking about the same thing, these people. I'm young, I'm fresh, I need something new here. I need some enjoyment. <laughs> like, you know, and nothing's happening for me in AA. I don't see no life. I got no gratitude for what you people have in the rooms. I didn't see it. Right? I'm taken. Give me, what are you going to do for me? Pay attention to me. Look what I'm doing. I'm making coffee here. This is the best coffee I ever had. I had coffee like this before. And that's what I'm doing. And what had happened is I got things back in my life. Got my license back after five years. Lost it on account of that Barracuda incident. Got that back in my life. Now what's happening? Well, now I got something in my life. Things are coming back to me. Whoa! They gave me a credit card. Woo! There we go. They really must want me to be a part of the world. They're giving me money. And I start getting these things back in my life. I'm not doing anything. That's danger, danger spot. Why? I'm not making any effort to do anything for anyone else. You know why? Because I haven't had any sort of change, personality change up here. You don't want to give anything to anybody. I don't even know what I'm suffering from. So I'm not even going to do anything necessary to experience recovery from that. I think I'm doing it. I get my license back. I get a girlfriend who lends me her car. And I think, right on, going snowboarding. Got to get back into snowboarding. Got to rekindle those old flames. I gotta get that ego back. I gotta, I gotta be the best guy on the hill, right? Because that's what satisfies me. Being number one. Bill W talks about that. Identify with that gentleman. Gotta be number one. Gotta be number one in anything at any cost. Why? Because I can't be second best. I'm either higher or I'm lower. That's my self-esteem. There is no in between with me. I can't just be with you people. I can't just sit and listen and learn. Okay? I gotta be the best. And that's what happened. And I went on a trip to Morden. And I, we got a little ski hill up there. It's called uh, Holiday Mountain. And I went there with two of the friends that I grew up with, which is not always the best situation in my case. Not always the best. And I went out there, and I got this car, and I got my license. Now, to step back and look at this whole situation, what's really happening here? Got a lot of responsibility. Do alcoholics handle responsibility? Great. No. 
No, we crack under pressure. And that's what happened to me. Because the reality of the situation is I got two lives in my hands. I got my girlfriend's car. Girlfriend, not she later was a girlfriend. <laughs> At this time in the moment, she's a girlfriend. A friend of mine. She gives me her car. That's her means of getting to work. She's finding the kindness in her heart to lend me her car, to go snowboarding with some friends. Right? So I got a lot of responsibility. I got to get that car back. That's her car. It's the only piece, piece of material thing that she has to make a livelihood. Do I think of those things? No, I think of me. I think of me. I don't think of anybody else. I get to that hill. It's about uh, 11.30. Lonnie goes off the jump. Holy, Lonnie looks like he's been practicing for a couple of years. I've been out of the game. Lonnie could be better than me, God forbid. I start getting very nervous. My heart's beating. I can't go on that. I can't, I can't go up there. I'm frozen with fear. I can't let somebody else be better than me. And that dictates my actions. You people out there dictate the way I feel on any given day. When my sanity and emotions rest in your hands. Okay? You got any uh, clothes duckers in the malls here? Back lane duckers? Someone drives by, screeches their tires, and we think they're coming for you? That's how I live. That's how I live out there. That's my deal. And what had happened is the thought came. What was it? She have a double ran coke. One, double Ryan Coke. Why? Here's the reasoning. You can loosen up. Go off that jump. That's what you need. You're a little nervous right now. Now, what did not follow that thought is, why don't you have a double Ryan Coke so that after you go and hit that jump, which you're not even going to hit that jump, you can buy an 18 case of beer, hop in your car, drive back to Morden, Manitoba, drink that 18 case of beer, throw beer bottles out the window because you love smashing them on the road, Car behind you is going to phone ahead to the RCMP. The RCMP is going to meet you in the morning. You're going to get a DOI, and you're going to get Jacqueline's car taken away, and you're going to go into a blackout, and you're going to have to have Jacqueline come and pick you up. That's what happened. <laughs> now, I didn't get a DOI by the grace of God. I don't know why. The, the power, uh, the God of mine are standing, that you just called God today, seemed to just see me through those situations. I don't know. He, di- he didn't want me in institutions as a criminal. Today, he wants me in institutions to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. That has been one of the best things that I've been given the privilege and opportunity to do. And I believe that it is by the people that we should thank. And I believe a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, no less. Bill, we got two co-founders right here. As in Bill Wilson's words, we have many co-founders in AA. We've got Carl Young. We've got Clinton T. Duffy. We've got Roland Hazard. We've got Fulton Osler, Jack Alexander. Uh, Rockefeller, and all these co-founders who had this thing happen from the beginning. No different in my recovery. I did not do any of these things by great efforts on my part. A little hard work on my part was because of strong sponsorship, the strength of you people, okay, support, and people who came to the meetings and dedicated their time to give me an opportunity to experience life. right? And I did not make it into jail for whatever reason. And what had happened is Jacqueline had to come and get her car. I had to face that situation. And from that one occurrence, that opened up a door for me. And I saw for the first time, I didn't want that to happen. And that's how quick it happened. From six months of sobriety, one day, done. Just like that. Take that one drink, that which makes me bodily different from my fellows, occurred to me. And when I take one drink into my system as... Silkworth explains it in the doctor's opinion. I get some sort of phenomenon of craving inside of me. 
And the way that that shows itself is I get more thirsty. He calls it a manifestation. That's how something shows itself. For anyone new here, that might be some pretty big words for you. That's okay. When I read this book, I did not understand a word in here. I have a grade 9 education. I did not go to any university. Everything that I've done in Alcoholics Anonymous, like getting my grade 12 and going back to college has been a result of following these actions. That's it. wouldn't have been able to do anything in my life that has happened today if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous and a loving God that has come about in my life from that. Bottom line, period, period. Now, I get back from that experience, and I came back to AA a little, little hopeless, we'll say. And there's a series of events, again, I did everything wrong until the point where I crashed. And that brings me current to September 2000, and that's the 4th. Now, two days prior to that, I had moved in with some friends, thinking that got to get out of the fellowship, got to get down with some friends again. And i got to go to the people that I'm comfortable with, because God forbid the people in AA are weird, always hugging me. It's only one handshake. I'm used to like high fives and this and it's like, hey, how you doing? I don't know how to deal with simplicity like that. It's too simple for me. And what had happened is a good friend of mine, and again, God works through people. God doesn't only work through Alcoholics Anonymous and members of AA. God works through anybody. Are we open to see it? You never know where you're going to see it. You never know. I got to stay open to that. I got to stay willing see it because I never know if I'm going to miss it and for whatever reason this friend of mine Chris sat down with me and he told me you haven't paid rent for a month (laughs) that's nothing new I don't like what happens to you when you start drinking you're scary I never know if I can talk to you or or sometimes I feel like I gotta leave my own house if this happens again, one more chance I'm giving you. You can't prove to me that you can somewhat keep it under control. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Now, I'd never had a responsible conversation like that with anybody in my life. Never. And I summoned every sort of will that I had in my being, and I looked him in the eyes and I said, I can do that, I can try, I can do that. He left the house to go and run some errands. I looked in that fridge, there's two beers. I figure I'm safe. Can't go to the vendor. I don't got any money. Drank those two beers. Triggered that allergy in me. I went into his change jar. Stole some loonies and toonies. Went to the vendor. And he found me the next morning. And what did he say? You're out. And I'm on my butt. And I'm phoning my sister once again to come and bail me out of this trouble. You got to get me out of here, Tammy. They're kicking me out. I got nowhere to go. I got to go back to mom's. Okay? Pride's fallen. My life crashed. And the thought that came, because I was digging around looking for this very book, because I knew it was the only one that I had, and it was in this box of dishes. And those are my belongings. I got the bed in the corner of the wall, some beer caps, moldy beer bottles everywhere. Maybe there's a smash one somewhere. And I got a box that has my belongings. And I know there's a big book down there somewhere. And all the other ones I've thrown away or burnt or <laughs> whatever to them. Because this thing ain't working. What you people have here isn't for real. That's what I'm thinking. And the thought that happened to me that morning when I was faced with that consequence was, I go back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to have a different attitude. And it was that simple. That's all it took for me in the beginning. 
And I came back to AA. And I came back to AA and I got a sponsor. And we went through those steps as best as we both could at that time. And what had happened is I'd begun to learn how to live by being involved in action. And that only carried me for a period of time till, till we got to about a year and a half. And what I began to experience was the insanity of alcohol coming back into my life again. But for whatever reason, I'd been restored to enough sanity where I could see the truth and what I was about to do and not do it, but I knew that that was going to run out shortly. And what that was is I'd sit in a meeting, my back against the wall, and the meeting I went to, and there's people all here, and, and they had it situated, people lined up here, and then people facing this way. And I would look out of that crowd, and I would think, for about a month, are the rest of you feeling the way I'm feeling right now? Because every day I go home, i got to convince myself why I should not kill myself. That's what I leave home with every, every meeting. Hanging in there. Can't drink. Why can't I drink? Because I know what's going to happen. Got to kill myself. Can't kill myself. Got to drink. Fighting. I didn't come to AA to fight with this thing. If that's what this deal was about and that's what Alcoholics Anonymous was offering, I wouldn't be here. I need freedom. I need freedom from that. It's too powerful for me. And my time is running out. And a friend of mine suggested and I get together with a gentleman who goes to a group called the Back to Basics Big Book Study Group, and they study the book one paragraph at a time. And this gentleman seems to have something working in his life and be more than happy and willing to give that to you if you'll sit down and meet with him. And I sat down with this gentleman, who's my current sponsor today, and we went through a series of things where he told me, he said, this is all I expect from you. He says, you're gonna, we're going to meet once a week, we're going to read this big book, from front cover to the, to the end of 164. I'm going to help you to practice and apply these 12 steps in your life as I have come to practice them in my life. You're going to be at my home group. You're going to make my home group your home group. You're going to be there for that one meeting a week, barring any emergency. Hockey games and movies are not emergencies. If you're bleeding from your ears, we may consider that. We'll try and get you in with some gauze. And we sat down. He told me, you're going to phone your previous sponsor. You're going to tell him that you're working only with me. I do not work and double sponsor. It's too easy for you to go in and get an answer you don't like. And we're going to get down to business here. I'm going to tell you the truth. You may not like it, but I'm not going to sit at home and worry about what I did not tell you because your life is at stake. And he said, now you're going to go home and you're going to think about this for a day. And I already knew my decision. Why? Because all I had was willingness. I had given up everything I would known. And now that I see that, I really had the essentials in the back of the book and the spiritual dependency. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. In the smallest degree. And that's how I made my beginning. Right? Today, those things in my life are in a lot larger degree. I am more willing today to do whatever it takes than I was in the beginning. And that's just the way I try to live today. I believe that is God's will for me. And I try to do that to the best of my ability. I try to do that to the best of my ability. Now, we started going through this text, and he explained it to me as a text. It's a textbook. That's the fellowship out there. The program is contained in the book. You did not come to the program. You came to the fellowship. 
We're going to understand this program. What's a program? It's a plan or a procedure for a given result. You get a program on a hockey game, it tells you specifically what is going to go on at that hockey game. Same deal with this book. It's a recipe for life. We're going to follow the series of instructions in here, and you're going to experience recovery. And I thought that was fairy tale. But you know what? I didn't have anything better to do. And this was my last chance. I figured, what have I got to lose, really? I've never tried these steps. Now, what had happened in a period of three months is we had gone through that book, and we had gone through it quick. We were moving through it, and he gave me the understanding of step one. I got an obsession of the mind that left on my own resources. Living stone cold sober in the world, my human resources will fail me utterly every single time, and I will go insane trying to convince myself that it's going to be different than I can live without this and without you people. Right? Now, I've had friends who have hung themselves, who have who have died of drug overdoses on account of their alcoholism, and I don't want that deal. I don't want that deal. i got their pictures in my big book. They remind me i got their pictures on their wall. God bless their souls. I don't want that deal. I know it is a part of me, and it is waiting for me, and that is why I carry this thing with the zest of life, because my life is at stake, and so is yours, and that means something to me. never meant something to me before. didn't mean nothing to me. Now, when we got to step two, he explained to me, do you have any prejudices about anything that you're willing to believe in? And, and I don't think I had any prejudices. Now, when I look back on it, yeah, I did. I remember walking down. I thought my God picked on me. Anybody here have a God that picked on him? I just think, what a rotten deal. I was always getting picked on out there. I remember driving my bike. I worked at Smitty's on Regent. Driving my bike, driving, having a bad day. I think I might have woke up from a bad hangover or whatever. One of those impending days where you're just waiting for a piano to drop from a building. It's going to hit you, and everybody's going to notice, and they're going to laugh and stop the cars and get out. Nah, what a loser. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's going nowhere. And I'm driving down Regent on my bike. Pretty long street. Busy street. It's not even my bike. can't even afford my own bike. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to borrow a friend's bike. Oh, my life is in shambles. And I'm riding, thinking about me. <laughs> Hey, the rotten job I got. They expect too much from me. They don't appreciate my services. I'm assistant kitchen manager. Too much responsibility. I should be in the back in the offices. They want me doing wing night and this and setting menus and firing people and hiring. Oh, I don't want that. Give me my title. That's it. Hang it right here and come and talk to me. You got some problems? We'll solve those problems. You got some family problems? Let's talk about them. Let's talk. Hey. I'm riding my bike. What had happened is my God picked on me. So I thought in my perception. Now, I'm the only guy on this street. And I'm riding, there's traffic. And what had happened is there is a bike reflector on the street, somewhere over here in the corner. Okay? And the car tire hit that, and it shot it out. You know how tires will shoot stones? And I'm riding my bike like this, and all I hear is, like it hit in the head. Who does that happen to? Who saw that? On that one experience alone, I used to think someone's going to walk into a party and go, you're the guy, I saw you. <laughs> Nobody gets hit with a bike reflector. You're a loser. Get out of here, Chris Turner. You got hit with a bike reflector. Your life's mapped out. Just leave now. Leave the city. And that's how I felt. I was so nervous all the time. I just felt like I was being picked on. I remember bumping into my friend Steve B., and what happened to him, he never went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew he had some problems, but he had found religion. 
I'm not here to speak on religion. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization. I talk about God and the God of my own understanding. But this gentleman found some purpose and direction in his life. Right on. Good. Book talks about that. If you find some purpose and direction, seek it. We have here is one solution. That's it. This one solution that worked with me. Okay? It's not the only solution. That's it. I need a change, though. I need a change. That's the name of the game. Change. He walked up to me, and he's bouncing, eh? Smiling. Comes up. Hey, what's happening? Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. I found God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, don't say that too loud, man. <laughs> Summertime, or, like, talk to me at night in the back lane. Like, holy, good, right on. <laughs> like, cool, okay? See you later, man. Whoa. <laughs> That's how I thought. That's what I came in with. Those were the ideas I had. I had to lay those aside. And I had to look out at you people, and I had to see that there's something working in your life. How can I argue with this roundup? Purpose and direction I see here. I can't argue with all of you. Miracles. What is the most natural thing for me to do is to be drinking. And I'm not. I'm up here, happy, joyous, and free, on account of our 12-step program. It's changed my life and altered my life and my relationships in it. Give me a relationship that I continue to build with a God of my understanding and gets better and better every day as long as I continue to stay in the game and do the things necessary. Put aside at the door all that I think I know and learn something new from you people. Okay? That's what it's about. And I came in with that idea. I hope you people aren't lying to me and I'm going to go through with this. Step three, just that simple. And I make a decision based on that information. What's the information? I'm powerless over alcohol. Left on my, excuse me, on my own resources. I will drink left up to me. And I'll continue that cycle again. Continue that cycle again. It's going to get worse. Maybe I'm going to end up in jail inches and seconds. Maybe I'm going to kill someone. How do I know when it's going to end or stop? I don't. I don't. Do I want to play with that? No. No. I'm not willing to gamble with that anymore. Here, sober mind saying that. Do you think I'll rationalize that when I'm faced with that drink? If I put this book down and walk away from you people and say, thank you very much, I'm fine now? Uh-uh. Won't happen. Won't happen. That's the truth. That's the truth about me. So, based on that information, I need to find a power. You people seem to be demonstrating some sort of power and stability, and you're talking, and you're laughing, and you're shaking hands, and you're going out for coffee, and I see people walking up to complete strangers, talking to them, offering them some sort of answer, and phone numbers, and holy, like, what is this? I've never seen nothing like this. The unity. I've never experienced anything like this. Okay. Okay. Based on that information, I got nothing. My life is completely unmanageable. I'm done. Let's go. If you say that what is working in your life, I'm willing to try that. And it's a God of my own understanding. Thank God I never walked into that meeting and they said, here's your cup of coffee, grab your seat, and this is what you got to believe in. I don't know if I would have stayed. It would have been a little too abrupt for me. And they, walked, they eased me into it. The fellowship. You people gave me that. Gave me that. So based on step three, I'm going to turn my will and my life over to this care of God. What are my will and my life? Simply my thoughts and my actions as we hear throughout the meetings. But I'm going to go on with the rest of the steps. right? Because that which is blocked inside of me, which is that power, it's deep down inside every man, woman, and child, tells me, but it's blocked. Resentment, fear, guilt, pomp, worship, worry. Fear of tomorrow, yesterday, with the things I did, the things I'm not going to do, the things that I'm thinking about, whatever's going on in my life. i got to get rid of that stuff and live comfortably. Because it's in there. It's in there. Have you ever made an effort to clear that away? Nope. Never. 
Step three talks about selfishness, self-centeredness, and I make all my decisions based on that. And those are the things I got to go on a daily basis. Today, that is what I suffer from, unfortunately, on a day-to-day -day basis. And it tells me I got a contingent, right? And I got to work on these things, right? I'm apt to these character qual. I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm new guy here. I don't know nothing. All I'm here to talk about is my experience, and that's it. And I hope that never changes for me. I hope I never sit down and wake up in the morning and think that I don't got to study this book anymore. Okay? This book continues to come alive for me every time I pick it up and read it in the morning. From page to the end. From page to the end. Bring a new guy through it. Get him. Watch him change. Something in here that I wanted to start with, and it simply says, and it sums up why I believe... I feel the way I feel right now. And it says, life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others. To watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you. To have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. Thank God you made that possible. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is a bright spot of our lives. I continue to meet people at these roundups in my life today. This is the third year that I've been here. And those relationships have seemed to grow and grow and grow. So based on that information, and we get some promises on account to do in the step three, but it's not what happens in our lives. It's an account of what happens as we go through the rest of the steps. Because if that really what happened in my life, if I experienced all that at once, it's a simple result to do in one, two, and three. We have a three-step program. Unfortunately, I got to clean house. I got to get down to causes and conditions. I got to look at the facts of my life. It calls it a fact-finding and a fact-facing. Fact-finding is searching. Fact-facing is fearless. And I got to look at a series of resentments and conditions and people and, and principles and anything in my life that is causing me to either irk, cringe, or remember and, and recall and and, and I don't have to tell you people what a resentment is. Anyone new here, you're going to find out. Resentment is a simple form of anger. Or you refeel something or you remember something. Remember something. Think of the hockey game. Joe and Charlie talk about the hockey game. The guy gets hit on the boards and the, and the wonderful person in, in the stands up there, he's the producer, whatever he's doing, he's got that replay machine. And the hockey game's going on, but what he's doing for the TV viewers at home is he's saying, let's take a look at that and hit again. And what happens? It gets worse. Oh, did you see his neck turn there? I think he might have broke a finger of that one. Let's see that again. What's happening? Life is continuing. And that's what I do. That's what I do. You bump me in the shoulder walking down the street, I'm thinking, next time, boy, you're not going to do that because you don't know who you're bumping into and who saw me not react, and I can't ever let this happen again, and this is what I'm going to do. And I got my next five years mapped out looking for you so I can prove to you so that when you bump into me again, remember, you bump me? <laughs> Whatever I do, eh? That's the way my brain works. I got millions of them. I can't recall them all right now. And really, it offers me an opportunity to look at resentment in the sense it's not about looking at all these things and all these things. It's, it's getting all that down on paper because up here, I can't do lists up here. I got to get that down on paper. I got to make column forms. I got to look at resentment, fear, and guilt in relation to my sex problems and my relationships in my life. I got to see that for what it is. And what that taught me and the resentment, I learned a prayer. If anybody is interested, we got prayers in our big book. I made. Um, some bookmarks 
On the resentment prayer, it does not take anything out of the context of the big book. It's right out of the big book. I just added one little prayer in the end. That's it. If anyone's interested, I got I brought a couple with me. It, it, they're very useful to me. I don't like to take anything out of the context. Like I said, it's a prayer right out of our book. I just like making bookmarks. I got a little soft. I make bookmarks. I write poems, okay? <laughs> I write poems. <laughs> And, and what, really what I saw there, an account of listening to the fellowship, though. These are the things that, that we learn as we go. I didn't learn all this in the beginning. I didn't learn all this first shot. Way too much information if I were to learn everything I'm talking about right now. I would, it would have inf- information me right out the door. What would have happened? But as I continued in the process of working these steps is what I started to learn. And I started to look at those people and those resentments. And I could look at them. The big book suggests, and Bill, in the first 100, asked me, Look at them as sick people. Do you think that these people that you hate, if they were spiritually well, would they have done that to you? No. That's simple. If they were living in some sort of spiritual life, trying to give back, if they knew, would they do that? No. Treat them as sick people. I try to do that. That's a tough, tough deal to do. But that's what it asks me. And I learn forgiveness. And it begins. And I keep on. Right? It asks us in there, it says, vigorous action. How many times does it mention action in our big book? I got it written down right here. Because <laughs> that's important to me. And action is mentioned. Let's find it. And it's right here. Look at this. Action. Action. Practical, harmonious action, program of action, program of action, vigorous action, chapter action, requires action, now more action, his action, program of action. I think you get the point. i got to live this thing, right? One thing I heard, I believe it was from a, a spiritual book. I, I forget the title. Uh, there's a line in there that really hit me. And what it says, it says, what you are, speak so loud I cannot hear a word you say. And I'll always remember that because that's what I saw in you people living this deal. And I wanted that. I wanted that. So I got these things on paper and I look at fear for what it is in the same deal. I learn about prayer and the big book starts to teach me how to pray. The big book started to teach me how to pray on step two, actually, and how it works. It gives us our first prayer. We ask for com- his care and complete abandon. At that, We stood at the turning point, I believe, as it says. And I learned my first prayer. And I begin to do these things in my life. And I learned that today it's all about prayer. Why i got to build in a relationship with a God of my understanding. What is, what is a relationship based on? Communication and listening. you got to communicate with a God of my understanding through prayer. i got to listen through meditation. i got to try and do that to the best of my ability. i listen to you people. i got to stay open and willing and honest to understand that he speaks through you people and he speaks through anyone. He could be speaking through that drunk on the street who's falling down and is sick. Who knows what's going to come out of his mouth. i got to be open to go to any sordid spot on earth to do whatever it takes in Alcoholics Anonymous to carry this message. Why? Because if I don't take that phone call because I think a golf game's too important or i got to go to that skate park and just hang in there, bud, and maybe phone another phone call, he's not going to make it. I'm going to make it. i got a bit of a reprieve today. Eh? And even that's not enough for me. I might make it a day. He has no idea what he's suffering from. Eh? And all he's got is the thoughts up here. And his only answer is either drink or die. He hasn't been given hope. I don't want to ever take part in that. I don't want to take part in that. 
And, that, and that's just what I try to do. I try to carry this to the best of my ability because we're dealing with lives here, right? And miracles, miracles. We're going to get up tomorrow, I hope. Some of us are going to dance. Things are going to happen, right? Flowers are going to bloom. We're going to shake hands. We're going to make friendships. It talks about vast friendships that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. And that's what happened when I began to tell all of my life story with my sponsor as today. It gives us specific instructions of who we can do that with. I read through the book with my sponsor. I think he was a qualified person to do that with, as laid out with the instructions. It gives us many examples who we can do this step five with, and I chose him. Today, this man knows everything about me in my life. There's not one thing that he does not know. Everything. Boo, everything. <laughs> and I proceeded to tell him about these things, and we picked and we prod, and we gone out some defects of character, and he said, now you go home and you look at these things for what they are, and you think about what you have done. Put that book on your shelf. Take that book down from your shelf <laughs> and read the first five proposals and move on with six and seven and become willing to have these things removed from you. Very short steps. Lots of action. That is what I continue to try to work on my life today. When my life gets so busy and hectic with resentment and safe fear and whatever change that is going on in my life, sometimes I need to look at that on paper and let's continue to take that personal inventory as we move on. But I need to try in every bit of my effort and ounce of my will through prayer and action and talking with you people and being open and, and humble to receive any sort of direction, whatever it is, to try and be removed of these defects of character and do my best to be of maximum service to you and the people about me and to God. The best of my ability. And, and, and I believe that that gets easier over time. And today I can say that that is a big part of my life. It's that seeking. It tells us, and we agnostics, it's open to those who earnestly seek. And that's what I need to continue to do today. I can't ever stop seeking. I can't. And I got into the amends process. I'd like to share one story with you because this is how you're not supposed to do amends. But this is the way that I did it because I was on fire. Hey, I had to get this thing because my life started to change. What had happened in my life was in the spiritual dependency that says what happens to the new person is that he he experiences a change and happens in a few months. That could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. That's what sort of happened for me, and that promise came true for me. In a matter of three months, my life began to change like that. It was fast. Are we done? Five minutes. Right on. And what had happened to me is I got out there and I started making amends. I'm not going to share that story. I'd like to maybe leave you off with, with some of the current things that are going on in my life. Um, and that is one of the things that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. It's given me freedom. And doing those amends and getting out there and continuing action and facing those things and being willing to do whatever it takes with the guided principles throughout that amends process. And then to do this all over again through step 10, 4 through 9, and stay in the game, and 11, to learn through prayer and meditation and to improve that conscious contact and to carry that to the new person, which is what I believe we're doing here tonight. I thank you for giving me the opportunity and privilege to be able to come out here and share with you tonight. And God bless you, and I wish you the best of happy, joyous, and freeness in your life. I look forward to having a dance with whoever out there will have a dance with me. Take care. <laughs>